Through most of the Thursdays of this semester, I will be preaching out of Paul's epistle to the Ephesians. Hear the word of the Lord, beginning in chapter 1, verse 1. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, to the saints who are in Ephesus and are faithful in Christ Jesus, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. Just as he chose us in Christ before the foundations of the world to be holy and blameless before him in love, he destined us for adoption as his children through Jesus Christ, according to the good pleasures of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace that he freely bestowed on us in the Beloved. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace that he lavished on us. With all wisdom and insight, he has made known to us the mystery of his will according to his good pleasure that he set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time to gather up all things in him, things in heaven and things on earth. In Christ we have also obtained an inheritance, having been destined according to the purposes of him who accomplishes all things according to his counsel and will, so that we who were the first to set our hope on Christ might live for the praise of his glory. In him you also, when you had heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and had believed in him, were marked with the seal of the promised Holy Spirit. This is the pledge of our inheritance, toward redemption as God's own people to the praise of his glory. The word of the Lord. Let us pray. We've gathered here once again, O oh God, to place our lives in front of your open word, asking that you will speak it to us as only your spirit can. We ask it in the name of the word made flesh. Amen. We spend a lot of time these days working out identity issues, vocational identity, ethnic identity, family identity, gender identity, religious identity, which means that one of the contemporary challenges today is figuring out exactly who we are and then how we will spend our lives. It used to be that things like identity and mission came as an inheritance from your family who told you clearly who you are and how you will be spending your life. My grandparents were the sixth generation of farmers who each inherited the farm from the generation before them. No one asked the upcoming generation if they wanted to be a farmer. No. 
None of them took vocational aptitude tests that scored high in agriculture. They didn't even ask themselves if they would be fulfilled as farmers. I'm not even sure they knew what that word meant. It was just their inheritance that they received from home. But no more. Now, home is something that you leave to decide for yourself who you are and what you will do with your life. For the last couple of generations, maybe three, we've been giving our youth pretty much the same advice. Be yourself. Follow your own dreams. Do your own thing. Chase your own star. And the implications of this advice is that we now see life and our understanding of identity as a self-construction. And the way you make this construction is by making choices. Choose a school, choose a major, choose a job, choose a community, choose a church. And if you don't like your choices, just choose again. Which means that if you're unhappy, it's simply a matter of your choices. You can make yourself happy, you can find fulfillment, which we definitely understand, if you just choose better. And the legacy of this notion is that people are using up their fleeting years, constantly making choices, hoping that they'll eventually choose their way into a life that they really like. When we dismantled the notion of inherited identities, we assumed that people inherently knew who they were and what they wanted to do with their lives. But ironically, by removing them from any higher callings, we have actually made it impossible for them to have such knowledge. Life is not something that we create. It's something that we receive with gratitude and faithfulness. In this first chapter of his letter to the Ephesians, the Apostle Paul would say that our identity is not something that we inherit from our grandparents as we used to think. It's not something that we self-construct as we currently think. Your identity, Paul says, is who you are in Christ. And only as you grasp that will you know how to spend your life. When Paul and Silas made their way into the city of Ephesus, they had to have seen the great temple of Artemis. It was one of the seven wonders of the world. But Paul wouldn't have been allowed in that temple. And in fact, the defenders of the temple started a riot getting Paul and Silas thrown out of town. He would have known about the temple for the pagan mystery cults. But the apostle wouldn't have gone there either because he wouldn't want the gospel to be confused with their message. And of course, he knew about the synagogue, which is where he did initially go, as he always initially went. But after preaching there for three months, he got kicked out and then spent the next two years establishing this church in a lecture hall. So the church in Ephesus is not 
in the temple of Artemis. It's not in the temple of the pagan mystery cults. It's not in the synagogue. It's not in all of the normal and accepted places of finding access to God. What are they in? Paul says, you are in Christ. He uses the phrase nine times in those 14 verses I just read. Verse three, in Christ, you have received every spiritual blessings of the heavenly places. Verse four, in Christ you were chosen. Verse five, in Christ you were adopted. Verse six, in Christ you have received grace. Verse seven, in Christ you have received the forgiveness of your sins. And then in verse 13, he says you've received all of this, not for your own doing, but because the Holy Spirit has engrafted you, has sealed you into the Son's beloved relationship with the Father. That's who you are, a member of triune community. That's the only home that can give you your identity and mission. Irenaeus wrote one of the earliest theologies of the Trinity when he said, that the father runs down the road towards the prodigal with both arms outstretched. One of them is the son and one of them is the spirit. And with these two arms, he catches the prodigal and pulls him to his breast. It's two-handed giving, son and spirit. Most of my giving is one-handed. I hear about a need, I say, you need this? Yeah, I got this. You can have that. Irenaeus's point is that in giving us the Son and the Spirit, what God has given us is all that God has to give, two-handed giving, every spiritual blessing of the heavenly places. This is what it means to be the heirs of God, the joint heirs of Christ. This is what it means to find your identity and your mission from this triune communion. All God has to give, you've received. So much of our prayers still assumes that we're basically on our own to construct life. We've got these choices to make, and we would like a little divine advice. That's why we pray. Dear God, I've got to choose between the job in Chicago and Houston. I want to get this right. Help me, Chicago or Houston, Chicago or Houston. <laughs> and I can imagine heaven reaching down and saying, let's talk about son and spirit, son and spirit. And we would say to that, yeah, I know, I remember reading about that, but I've got to make this choice, <laughs> Chicago or Houston. I assure you God is not up all night wondering and worrying about which city you're going to go to. It's not as if God is saying, well, I sure hope he picks Chicago, because if he goes to Houston, I can't help him there. <laughs> God owns all the cities. God owns all the roads to all the cities. So use your freedom in making the choices you inevitably have to make. And I'm not saying God doesn't care about your vocational decisions. Don't quote me on that. It's a good idea to pray about these things. Absolutely. 
But as we pray about these things, let us attend to the reality that typically we have already received more than we are asking for. We've been adopted into triune communion. Do you realize the life-transforming power of that? You've been adopted. And like any parent who adopts, you weren't adopted because you were so cute or because you were so smart or because you're a hard worker and God really needs the help. No, you, you were adopted because the son was dying to find you and bring you home to the family table. These days, many of us are having wonderful conversations about our seminary becoming more of a covenant community, something to which we aspire. But let us be clear that any notion of our commitment to covenant community begins right here, in God's covenant with us. God's covenant of adopting us all into a holy family. That includes Father, Son, and Spirit, and you, and you, and you, and him, and her, and them. Let us especially remember that them are part of this covenant community God has created called his own family. One Lord, one faith, one baptism. It's all we need to nurture each other's identity and mission in Christ. In Christ, you can even be in love with this community. Not because it is unflawed, but because it is a grace. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen.